Revelation chapter 6 is where we find ourselves today in the uh, Word of God. And we are dealing with the opening of the seals. You will remember in our study up to this point of the book of Revelation that John was on the Isle of Patmos, late 80s, early 90s there. And he was sentenced there to that penal colony because of the Word of Christ and his testimony. Uh, the, the world was not favorable of Christianity. And uh, John's preaching Jesus everywhere that he goes. And uh, the powers that be didn't like it. And they uh, banned, banished him to the Isle of Patmos after doing a lot of other things to him. John would not die there on the island. He would ultimately be released and go back into Ephesus and serve in the church at Ephesus until his dying days. But while he was there on the Isle of Patmos, the Lord Jesus appeared to him in a vision. And the Lord Jesus appeared to him in a vision and gave him letters that we've studied intensely to the churches um, in Asia Minor. And these were specific local churches that received these letters. And at the conclusion of these letters, John was transported by way of vision into heaven, into the throne room of God. And we spent ample time looking around the throne room and looking at what was, um, uh, who was sitting on the throne and what was around the throne. And we walked through Revelation 4 and 5. Um, and we looked at all of the different pictures and aspects of things that we could see. We saw the, the living creatures and we saw the lion-like lamb uh, who we learned was the Lord Jesus Christ. And this lion-like lamb, this only Savior of the world, the Lord Jesus Christ, was the only one who was found worthy after a search had taken place in heaven and on earth and under the earth. The Lord Jesus Christ was the only one who was found worthy to take the scroll from the right hand of God and to open or to break the seals. Uh, you would remember that the seals on a scroll would, be, um, would require one who has the authority to break the seals and to read what was in that scroll. This particular scroll was written on the front side and on the back side, and it was sealed with seven seals. And where we are in our study of Revelation is we are coming to the point, and we know this from past studies, that in the breaking of the seals in heaven, judgment is released upon the earth. With the breaking of the seals in heaven, judgment is released upon the earth. Now we have already said in times past that according to my study of God's Word, the church, for multiple reasons, will not be on the earth. The church will be in heaven when these things take place. And yet last time we felt it necessary to take a look at those who would be saved in the, in the tribulation. We're going to be introduced to some of those in Revelation chapter 7 and see the kind of life that they're going to live inside the tribulation. You and I as a church, we have, we have the overcomer promises, if you will, in Revelation chapter 2 and chapter 3. 
that, that the time of testing that's going to come upon the whole world will not come upon us. We have not been destined for wrath. We will be saved out of, saved out of, away from the, the tribulation that is to come upon the whole world. And yet, those things will, will be different for those who get saved during the tribulation period. So as the Lord Jesus Christ takes the scroll, and as He begins to open, those, uh, open the scroll and break the seals, we have already seen in our survey of this section, which goes from Revelation chapter 6 up through Revelation chapter 18, that there are a series of judgments that come upon the earth during the seven-year period of time known as the tribulation, or known as the time of Jacob's trouble. <coughs> And I would remind you that these days are going to be so devastating that the Lord Jesus Himself said that if God did not cut these days short, no one would be able to survive it. But for the sake of the elect, God cut those days, will cut those days short. So in Revelation chapter 6, we have there's a series of judgments that are coming. And we have said also, just to stir you up by way of reminder, that, that when we're talking about the seven-year period of time, we begin with the seal judgments. And seal number one, two, three, and four will probably take us up to about the midpoint of the tribulation. And seal 5 and seal 6 will come just after the midpoint of the tribulation in about year 4, early year 5. And at that particular point in time, when we get to the last seal, the seventh seal, when Jesus breaks that last seal, there's nothing there initially. But then what we saw is the seventh seal unleashed a whole new series of judgments called the the trumpet judgments. There's also reverberations of thunder that we're going to study about as well. And then ultimately the bold judgments. So in the, in, the, in the tribulation, it starts out slow. And then the waves of judgment get, up, get faster and faster. They become more intense, more severe, and come with greater rapidity as we move towards the end of the tribulation uh, period. So we are going to look today at the first four uh, seal judgments. The first four of them. And the reason we're going to look at the first four is in each of these set of seven, the first four judgments in each of the consecutive sets of seven, three sets of seven judgments, the first four seem to be about the wrath poured out upon the earth and upon the world system and things along those lines. And then the last three have to do with cosmic, cos, co, uh, the co, in the cosmic realm, have to do in the heavenly realm, or in the demonic realm. And so, so each of these can be divided in, in a set of the first four and then the latter three. And we're going to study the first four sealed judgments today. And then next week we're going to come back and we're going to deal only with seal 5 next week most likely uh, because it is different from the others and so we will see why as we get there. So today I'm going to read Revelation chapter 6 verses 1 through 8 and then we're going to make our way through this book and consider 
the first four of the sealed judgments that came upon the earth when the, as the Lord Jesus Christ opened the scroll. Revelation chapter 6, verse 1. Then I saw when the Lamb broke one of the seven seals, and I heard one of the four living creatures saying, as with a voice of thunder, Come, I looked, and behold, a white horse... And he who sat on it had a, had a bow, and a crown was given to him. And he went out conquering and to conquer. When he broke the second seal, I heard the second living creature saying, Come. And another, a red horse, went out, and to him who sat on it, it was granted to take peace from the earth, and that men would slay one another, and a great sword was given to him. When he broke the third seal, I heard the third living creature saying, Come. I looked, and behold, a black horse, and he who sat on it had a pair of scales in his hand. And I heard something like a voice in the center of the four living creatures saying, A quart of wheat for a denarius and three quarts of barley for a denarius. And do not damage the oil and the wine. When the Lamb broke the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature saying, Come. I looked and behold, an ashen horse, or your translation may say a pale horse, and he who sat on it had the name Death. And Hades was following with him. Authority was given to them over a fourth of the earth to kill with sword and with famine and with pestilence and by the wild beast of the earth. So these first four uh, seal judgments bring wrath upon the earth in this vision that the Lord Jesus Christ is showing to John through what's called the known as the four horsemen of the apocalypse the four horsemen of the apocalypse now remember this is a vision and remember, this is a vision of things to come that will be like anything that has ever taken place upon the earth. And within these visions, what we are seeing is we are seeing the, the trends, we are seeing the things that happen and take place upon the earth. But, but let's be clear. When you think about uh, things like this, it's not that a literal horse from heaven is going to come as though you would imagine flying all around the earth and pixie dust coming out and everywhere he goes, these things happen. These are the agents that are delivering the wrath that is to come upon the earth exactly and precisely as the Lord Jesus Christ declared it. What I want you to know first of all is in each of these uh, judgments, 
God Himself is sovereignly in control of every aspect of that judgment and what is to come. It doesn't start until Jesus says, Come. It only extends as far as Jesus says it is to extend, and it escapes the boundaries with which God sets those boundaries. So what we are looking at is we are looking at the sovereignty of God at work in that future period of time that is coming upon the whole earth that is unlike anything that has ever happened at all. You and I cannot fathom, we cannot imagine, we cannot even... um, uh, Hollywood can't even make a movie that would capture all of the things that's going to take place that goes on around the whole world. When we see those four horsemen, those four horsemen, this is not the first time the four horsemen are found. In fact, there's a similar picture back in the Old Testament in several places. Zechariah chapter 1 would be one of those where you had the four horsemen, Zechariah chapter 6 as well. And so these have been known to the church before by way of prophecy. Prophecy was given about these coming. And so those who have studied Old Testament prophecy, or if you walked with us through the book of Zechariah that we did a couple of years ago, then, then you at least have some familiarity with these horsemen and you know that this is not the first time that they show up on the scene. Another fascinating picture, I believe, whenever you consider these, is just walk through these broadly with me and and then we'll walk through them specifically. But broadly speaking, in chapter chapter 2, there's one on on, on a white horse. And notice that a crown was given to him and he went out conquering and to conquer. Notice in in verse 4, there's this red horse... And he went to take peace away from the earth and was given a great sword. Notice in the third seal that there is famine in the land, which is why you have the scales. War in in seal 2. And death in seal 4. And to kind of give you an idea of where we are um, in this, this is indeed the wrath of God being poured out. And we know this because the Bible says that in, in Revelation chapter 15 that the last of God's wrath is being finished. In fact, just listen to Revelation 15.1. I saw another sign in heaven, great and marvelous, seven angels who had seven plagues, which are the last, because in them the wrath of God is finished. So from Revelation chapter 6 verse 1 through the tribulation period, you're talking about the wrath of God being poured out. And once all the wrath of God is being poured out, it is is finished. Jesus talked about these days. Go with me if you would to Matthew chapter 24 in your Bible. Jesus talked about this, this same time. In Matthew chapter 24... Jesus came out of the temples with his disciples, and and they were talking to him about um, all the all uh, uh, about the temple buildings and things. And Jesus says that that temple is going to come down, and not one stone will be upon another. 
And as he was sitting, Matthew 24, 3, as he was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, Tell us, when will these things happen? And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? In verse 4, Jesus said to them, See to it that no one misleads you. For many will come in My name saying, I am the Christ and will mislead many. And from there, you could write in the white horse. Because that is exactly what Jesus is talking about. And then in verse 6, you will be hearing of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not frightened, for those things must take place, but that is not yet the end. And so, what do you think would be good to write right there beside those verses? You might as well write in the red horse. The red horse. That's what he's talking about. Wars and rumors of wars. <clears throat> as we go on, uh, a little bit further, verse 7, For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. And in various places there will be famines and earthquakes. And so right there beside those famines and earthquakes, you might as well write the black horse. Because those are the same events that Jesus is talking about in both places. And then notice the parallel again. <clears throat> but all these things, now look at this, all these things are merely the beginning of the birth pangs. And he goes on to talk about verse 9, then they will deliver you to tribulation and will kill you and you will be hated by all nations because of My name. And there you might as well write the pale horse. <coughs> See the parallels? <coughs> so when Jesus gave us, when God gave us the first Gospel, Matthew, within there, it described these events. And Revelation chapter 6 is the unfolding of those events. And the agent of those uh, are the four horsemen of the apocalypse. And the four horsemen of the apocalypse were known in the Old Testament as well, which is why I have always said, beloved, you cannot study the book of the Revelation without first studying the Old Testament and all the things that's wrapped up in the end times in the Old Testament, beginning in Genesis chapter 49, verse 1, when he says these are the things that must take place at the end of the days. So here in Revelation chapter 6 then, I want us to walk through these and I want us to kind of get an idea and understanding as best we can what takes place with the breaking of these seals. First of all, we see that, that the, when the Lamb broke one of the seals, chapter 6, verse 1, I heard one of the four living creatures. Remember, the four living creatures are the angels that are there in heaven. The, one of the four living creatures saying, as with a voice of thunder. Not sure if it was a voice, not sure it was thunder, but saying, as a voice of thunder, come. Now, some translations have come and see. And then some translations have go. And it's interesting how this word is translated multiple ways. The idea here is that he is summoning the agent of the, of the, the judgment. He is summoning and sending all with that same command. Come and see. He's telling John, come and see. And telling the agent to come and go. And all of that is wrapped up in that word, Erkamai, come in chapter 6, verse 1. 
And John says, I looked and behold, a white horse. Now look at the description of this one sitting on the white horse. Three things I think we'll notice. He who sat on it had a bow, had a bow. A bow would be an instrument of war. It would be used to conquer. It would show power and authority. But did you notice that there's something missing? A bow has to be used in conjunction with arrows. In conjunction with arrows. So whatever's going to take place here is going to be one who has authority one who is seated on a white horse, and white would be the horse of victory. He has a Stephanos on his head, a crown. There are two words for crown used in Scriptures. A Stephanos is the victor's crown. It would be what he would receive if he won a race and ran. He would receive the, the Stephanos, the crown. Diadem is the other word. And notice also, he went out conquering and to conquer. Now, some people have, I believe, erroneously said that this is the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is the going out and preaching of the Gospel. He's not going out in violence. He's going out with authority of the bow, but without arrows. He's going out as the victorious King because He overcame death, hell, and the grave. And this is going to be His final circuit, if you will, around the world. And it's going to be the going forth of the Gospel. And in the going forth of the Gospel, as the Bible says in other places, that once the Gospel preached the whole world, then the end will come. And so many see this as the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, make no mistake about it, when we get to Revelation chapter 19, the Lord Jesus Christ is going to come and He is going to be on a white horse. But the only similarities between this one with this white horse and that one and with that one, Jesus on the white horse in, in, in chapter 19 is the white horse. Everything else is different. There is, there are, there is no reason to see that the Lord Jesus Christ would break the seal and summon the wrath and then sit upon the horse and then be sent in that as well. He's not sending Himself. Here the writer has a bow in Revelation chapter 19. When Jesus comes, He has a sword that comes out of His mouth and the sword is the Word of God. Here on this horse, the rider has a Stephanos. He has, if you have the name Stephen or uh, Stephanie, that means crown. The Stephanos is where that, where that comes from. It's the victor's crown. In Revelation chapter 19, the word there is, He crowned Him with many crowns. Those crowns are diadems. They are kingly crowns and kingly authorities. So, so I think it's safe to say that, that whoever this person is, is not the Lord Jesus Christ, but can you imagine that what this one is would be one who would come and who would pretend to be the victor, who would, tend, can, who would, who would pretend to be the Savior of the world. Go back to Matthew 24. Remember what Jesus says about this one?
Matthew 24, verse 5. For many will come in My name saying, I am the Christ. Now, are they the Christ? No. Indeed, the spirit of the Antichrist we've already seen is in the world according to the book of Thessalonians. And the mystery of the lawless man is at work according to Thessalonians as well. So this one's coming and he says, Many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ and will mislead many. So it's interesting that this one comes... And he comes on a white horse. He comes with a bow with no arrows, indicating that this is not going to be a violent takeover. He's coming to conquer. He's coming for the purpose of conquering and to conquer. And notice what it says, that this crown wasn't taken by him. He didn't force it. The crown was given to him. In the giving to him of the crown, we the indication is 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 that people will give him this crown, but ultimately for this season, this crown, because it's part of the sealed judgments, will come from God. Ultimately, God is the one who will sovereignly see to it that this one has a victor's crown. And so in Revelation chapter 6, in the first seal, what we see is we see the one who's going to come, who's going to pretend to be God, and who's going to lead many astray, who's going to go into the temple and be set up in the temple as God as being the Antichrist Himself. Now, now notice in this first judgment, though, that what He does is, is He ushers the world into a time of peace into a time of peace. I hear many Christians saying that the world is getting worse and worse and darker and darker. And it's the language used is almost as if that in the downward spiraling of the world and the world system, that it's just going to kind of fall off into chaotic times and, and, and ultimately find itself self-destructing in the wrath of God. Uh, that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says that in that time, initially set up temporarily for a brief season, is going to be success, going to be peace. And remember, all of the people are going to be saying peace and safety, peace and safety. When the Antichrist comes, there's going to be the greatest times that the world has ever seen. And that's because it comes in with the breaking of the first seal. If you want to know who those people are, go back to Psalm 2. Psalm 2, we've looked at many times. In Psalm 2, what we see is we see that the people are raging against God. 
Psalm 2.1, Why are the nations in an uproar and the peoples devising a vain thing? The kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers take their counsel together against the Lord and against His anointed, saying, Let us tear their fetters apart and cast away their cords from us and they are going to be successful in doing so. And though we've used this many times and talked about the things that are taking place and we've seen evidence in our world of the passing away of the bonds of God and breaking of those fetters, what's important is ultimately this is going to happen when the Antichrist comes. They are going to ultimately be successful in breaking the bonds and fetters. Every man is going to live according to his own rules. There are not going to be any boundaries at all. There's not going to be any law of God to contain them. It's going to be a peace, a time of peace and safety and they're going to rejoice and be glad because they finally have gotten what they've wanted to see happen all this time is finally a God who understands and doesn't have so many rules and obligations and things along those lines. But beloved, that peace and that time of peace is going to be abruptly disrupted by the breaking of the second seal. Here in Psalm 2, it says it this way, The Lord who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. He will speak to them in His anger and terrify them in His fury. And that's what begins to take place in the breaking of the second seal. So the first seal ushers in this peace. The first seal sets up the stage, if you will, for what happens next. And so this rider comes in on the white horse. He has no bow. He doesn't have to fight. He is there. He's in line. God is orchestrating. The restrainer has been removed, as we've talked about before. The world is doing all that it wants to do. He sets himself up in the temple. He is God. And everything is great for a temporary period of time because now we have the second seal. You'll notice in the first seal, nobody died. You'll notice in the first seal, there was no famine, there's no war, there's no devastation, destruction, just a time of peace and safety with the false gods set up. Now we come to the second seal. When he broke the second seal, I heard the second living creature say, Come. And another, a red horse. And you're going to see that this color is a great color for this horse because this one is not going to be like the first seal where there was no violence, there were no battles or wars. This is going to be a very, very bloody battle. A red horse went out, and to him who sat on it, it was granted. Now look at this. In the first seal, we have peace and safety in the world. The people are saying, peace, peace. In the second, now look at this, in this judgment, it was granted to take peace from the earth. Take peace from the earth. In other words, everything that makes people feel safe, secure, everything that that gives people interconnectivity, everything that gives people a sense of assurance, a sense of confidence, and a sense of surety that helps them sleep at night, everything within the world system that contributes to those things, the rider on the red horse is given permission by God to take peace 
from the earth. In our history, we've had world wars. And even in our world wars, at places around the globe, there have always been areas of peace. Yes, the vast majority of the world is engaged in war, but yes, around the world there are areas of peace. Not so when you come to the second seal. Because He was granted to take peace. Now look at this. Not from the Middle East. Not from Russia and the United States. Not from the Eastern... Not from Europe and all of those. Take peace from the earth. Some say that in taking peace from the earth, that that's going to be the interrupting of the internet system. That's going to be interrupting of the technologies and things that we have. That's going to be interrupting of the money exchanges and banking industry and all of those things. To take peace from the earth is going to rob everything of rob the world of every thing that brings them peace. And when you take people from their peace, then then they begin to lash out. Notice what it says. Notice what it says. It was granted to take peace from the earth, and the results of peace being taken from the earth is that men would slay one another. This one who sent on the red horse is not doing any slaying at all. He removes peace. The people under such stress and vying for everything that they have and trying to make it and do all those things, they begin to slay one another. And a mega, word great there, is the word mega sword, which is actually, it's kind of interesting, it's a, it says a great sword, literally it's a mega dagger, and a dagger would be what would be hidden secretly under the cloak of a person. They would hide that dagger in the cloak, pull it out and murder someone and put it back in there, and then no one would even know what happened until they found the dead lying on the ground. This is a mega dagger. Very, very violent time. To kind of give you an idea here, it doesn't say in other places we're going to see, it's going to give us some percentage of the ones that were there. But let's just kind of take a, take a, a, a look here and let's just consider this. If peace is taken from the world, and right now I looked it up this morning, there are about 7.25 billion people on the earth... By the way, if Jesus tarries another 12 years, there'll be 9.6 billion. So the math will be different whenever it ultimately comes unless He comes back immediately, which, which by the way, He could. And let's just say that you're talking about the entire globe. And let's just say that in this, they're killing each other, right? Men are slaying one another. Let's just be... I don't know how many were killed here. It doesn't say... But if we were just going to be be gracious, and let's just say that maybe one-seventh, one billion out of seven were killed uh, in this. Now, that number may be high, it may be low, but let's just say that that only one-seventh were killed in the slaying of one another. Beloved, that is still a billion people who will be killed during the second seal. How many people live in America? 
366 million. Close. Three what? Probably 320 million. 320 million. 320 million. Got a history teacher sitting on the front row. <laughs> 320 million people. Right? Compared to 1 billion, it would be if those numbers are even close. And there's no way to know. But it, let's just say one step because it makes the math easier down the road. Then you're talking about three times the number of people in the United States being wiped out in this one particular event. They were slaying each other. No peace, nowhere to hide. Everywhere they went out, they were looking over their shoulders. They couldn't stay in their homes. They'd have to go out and going out. Everywhere they go, they'd be wondering about who's going to get killed today. Can you imagine the news stories at that point? Can you imagine all the things that were taking place? That's what's going on in seal number two. And if that's not bad enough, you can imagine it affect the economy. It affect the, the, the world system of trade. It's going to affect everything is going to be completely disrupted and destroyed with the peace. And we come to seal three. And when he broke the third seal, third living creature saying, Come, I'll look and behold a black horse. And he who sat on it had a pair of scales in his hand. Now, it's not uncommon in that day when we studied the letters of the, to the seven churches, we, we saw, learned of this place called the uh, Agora. And it's a place where you go. It's like a marketplace. You'd buy weed and you'd buy barley there. And the way that you purchase weed and barley is you bartered with it. And so you put a, a quart of weed on one and you put a, so much weight of silver or gold on the other or some other value of trade. And you begin to trade and it was all done by the scales. So this is referring to the economy. It's referring to the food system. Specifically, it's talking about, had a pair of scales, and I heard something like a voice in the center of the four living creatures saying, a quart of wheat for a denarius and three quarts of barley for a denarius. Now, with wheat and barley, wheat would be the, the more expensive of the grains, Barley would be a rougher, coarser grain, and barley would be fed to the animals and also be fed. I mean, people would eat it, and they would take the barley, and, and what they would do is um, uh, if they couldn't afford wheat, then they would mix the barley in and do things with the, uh, with the barley. A denarius is one day's wage in that time. So, so you're talking about... Now think about this. Going to work in this world that has no peace, always looking over your back, always trying to escape someone trying to kill you and you not killing someone else, and now you're going hungry because you have to work an entire day, an entire day just to get one quart of wheat which would be enough to feed your family for an entire day. Barley, you would have a little bit more and you could mix it in. Uh, lower income people would take the barley and they would mix it with barley, other things, and make it stretch much like we do when we put like extra water in our soup to make it go further, right? A little extra something in our hamburger helper and things along those lines to, to make it stretch, to make it last and go out. That would be the things that would be taking place here. But this would bring about a famine. You couldn't afford food. Imagine all of working just to provide 
food for a day. Not any other living expenses. This would be a judgment upon, um, scholars say, upon the lower income class of people. Lower incomes would be the ones who would really struggle to eat during this time, and this would be a judgment upon them. The reason they say it's not really a judgment on the upper class of people, the upper echelon, the wealthy people, is because, notice it says, and do not damage the oil and the wine. So the olive groves and the, um, uh, and, and the, the, the vineyards would not be touched at all. Those industries would continue to run and thrive at this particular point in time, but only the wealthy would be able to afford them because all the others were taking a whole day's wage and buying enough food just for that day. Some find it interesting that the Lord Jesus in this one would spare the wine that he would spare the wine. Why would he do that? Some speculation is, and notice this is speculation because we're in a vision it hasn't happened yet, but some say that what's going on is that, that they are looking, um, that, that he is continuing to winnow the population of the earth down, and he's taking out all of these, and then ultimately the wealth is going to be there. He wants them there longer for other judgments to come. So just because he spared them here, it's not that they will ultimately be spared. Because remember, this is the pouring out of God's wrath during this time of testing that will come upon the whole world. And we come to the fourth seal. And when the Lamb broke the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the living creature saying, Come. And I looked, and behold, an ashen horse, and who sat on it had the name Death. And Hades was following with them. Authority was given to them. Now look at this. We've already seen, if you will, my numbers, guesstimate, don't, that's not authoritative, but I just said maybe one-seventh. Other scholars have said that. I didn't just make that number up. Now you have six billion people upon the earth. And notice what happens here. Authority was given to them over a fourth of the earth to kill with sword and with famine and with pestilence by the wild beast of the earth. If there's no food and there's nothing there, then even in carcasses everywhere because there wouldn't be ample time, money, or space to adequately bury all of those who have been killed. The wild beast and animals would come and devour the carcasses. It would become very dangerous everywhere you go. It's going to entirely change the entire world. And now a fourth of those remaining have been killed. So if one-seventh, if one billion was there, we have six billion left, one-fourth of six billion is 1.25, four and a six, one and a half, one and a half billion. Aren't you glad he handles the money? (laughs) Not yet. It's coming. It's coming. We're getting there. One and a half, another one and a half billion people. So now you have within the first four seals taking us through the midpoint of the tribulation in those four horsemen 30 to 40% of the world's population has been killed 
and we're not even through the sealed judgments. The Lord Jesus Christ, I would remind you, said this, these are the beginnings of the birth pangs. In each of these situations, it's easy to see the shadow of these horses or to hear the footprints of the things that are taking place. Though the devastation is beyond anything that we could ever imagine, the fact is is we have a lot of these problems taking place in our land today. We have issues within our land where people have no peace. But it's only in portions. We have portions in our world where there is war, but it's not on the global scale. And beloved, we have portions within our world where people are dying from lack of food. In fact, one person said it this way, if you were to take the entire population of the world and reduce it to a thousand people, reduce to a thousand people, uh, 600 would be Asians, 60 would come from North America, the vast majority of the world's resources would come from 60, 60 people, meaning those who live in North America, will have the overwhelming majority, 90% of the world's income dispersed among them. And I want you to listen to this statistic. Out of 1,000 people, 500 people would die of lack of food, lack of water, and preventable diseases. I don't know if you know this or not, but there are more people dying yearly around the globe from lack of food and clean water than have died during the entire abortion epidemic since it's been started. It is a problem on grand scales in proportion around the world even now. But not to others. And so what I want you to see is, is though a few years ago, and I'm closing with this, though a few years ago there would be people who would say, really, a billion and a half people are going to be killed? There's not enough dynamite in the world. Bible critics used to say, There's not enough dynamite in the world to kill a billion people. And little did they know in their critique of the Bible and rejecting biblical truth and the impossibilities of the things to come from the 70s until now we have split the atom. We now have nuclear. We now have all of these things that are taking place that we can can now see the possibility of such devastation. How should we feel reading these things? I think we should feel exactly what Paul said, what I read earlier in Thessalonians, that it should wake us up. And it should cause us to be alert and to be sober. 
It should cause us to cling together as the body of Christ and to edify, encourage, and uplift one another. And it, beloved, it ought to light up your evangelistic appeal because I promise you, you do not want anyone that you know, whether you like them or hate them, to go through the things that are about to take place in this world upon those who do not know Christ as their personal Lord and Savior. My prayer is that in studying these things, that it will ignite an evangelistic zeal within us that will overcome our uh, uh, fear of awkward conversations and that would keep our mouth shut when we should be sharing Christ with others. Beloved, this is real. And this is the beginning. And though in the beginning of chapter 6, they're saying peace and safety, we've finally broken the bonds and life is great. By the end of chapter 6, they're hiding in caves and praying to die. Have the hard conversations. It's worth it. Let's pray together.